Hey there, cats and kittens. What's this? Another pre-podcast announcement? Of course. That's because it's been a few weeks in between drinks yet again, and I wanted to get another one out before the end of October. So yes, hi, it's Geraldine. This is actually part two of my chat with Queenie Van Der Zandt, which originally took place way back on the 28th of January 2016. So a couple of weeks after David Bowie left the earth, well, he never really left the earth and his body was burnt and scattered somewhere and uh, we're all basically dust, ashes to, oh no, I'm not going to start on that. Anyway, we'd had a long, wide-ranging chat about various self-help topics, but we also talk about uh, depression and what it's like being in the arts and working as, as a technician or a performer, uh, everyone's difficult friend, log cabin fever. We've basically got a lot of good advice for people who do find themselves stuck on their own trying to um, function in the creative industry. I also wanted to let you know that uh, there is going to be an album launch for the last gig in Melbourne. It's just falling into place in the last couple of days. I'm speaking to you on the 30th of October, early December. I should be able to give you details very soon of an album launch. So welcome to part two of Queenie van der Zand, the next podcast. I will have some more details about the last gig in Melbourne album launch. It's very exciting. I've got all the original musicians back together. So I really hope you guys come because, oh God, my rent's so expensive. Oh, and before we begin, you need to understand that we were actually having a chat about a few issues in part one. And this conversation starts just after Queenie had had a bit of a discussion about, I think it was a kind of mentor, leadership, sort of spiritualist guy who was touring. And that reminded me of another person who had toured and I had a story about that so that's where we kind of come in a bit hard oh and you might hear some kind of things happening in the background throughout this don't get distracted it's just her puppy dog and her puppy dog was pretty amazing (laughs) I really want a dog like it's a hole in my life I really want a dog enjoy Hey there, cats and kittens, and welcome to episode 19 of Bang on the Strillers, the Cabaret Etc. podcast. Who is it this time? Well, it's part two of my chat with Queenie van der Zandt that took place earlier this year in January. And this year is 2016, because this is obviously going to live forever, this podcast, and people will listen to it for years to come to find out everything they need to know about whatever the hell cabaret is. We talk about exorcisms, why people who call other people toxic are actually the most toxic, why on earth Cabaret is so white and we obviously forgot about Legato Chocolat and Hot Brown Honey didn't exist yet, but anyway, and writing for older women and how it sucks in the performing arts industry when you're over 35 and you've got a vagina. We're keeping it light! I, I, I have got a story about there's that other guy who does exorcisms. Do you remember him? He's the one John Safran... Did something oh, with. Oh, no, I don't remember On him. John Safran oh, versus God. God. He's fam- another American. Right, yeah. Bearded chap. Older bearded chap who I does exorcisms. Him. Right. He came to Australia quite a few years ago. And somebody whom I know, who shall remain nameless and mostly unidentifiable, uh, went <gasps> and and was talking to me about it. And I, and I jokingly went, well, I guess you must have had a lot of demons. And then this person said, with complete sincerity, yes, I did. I did have a lot of demons. 
And it was one of the most <laughs> disturbing experiences I've had in that relationship and possibly on the earth because I thought I knew this person quite yeah. well and just went, wow. how do I explain how creepy that was? That moment was. Actually, even just when you did it across the table from me, it was creepy. Yeah. I dropped it straight away. I just went, just went okay. I'm not going into this anymore because no. I've said that as a joke and that's been taken very seriously. Wow. And that was, yeah, I don't know. It was quite a few years ago. Yeah. There's a few things. There's a few things I'd like to bring up that I, I wonder whether I should just wait till more people die before I bring them up. Because we do have, because we do have this, we do have this real drive as humans to, a lot of us do culturally in our part of the world anyway, our Western world to, to to cleanse things. Right? Mm. You were you were dropping the detox word a few times oh, before we went on. Yeah, but yeah. but there's a real sense of. Cleansing people, which I find rather insidious. Um, now, I'm not the most balanced person in the world, but and I'm not criticising your choices, by the way, but I know you don't take, I don't things, take personally. things personally. That's right. What I mean is to take it from a more um, a, a more ethereal, figurative kind of point of view. Yeah. Uh, people who cleanse toxic people from their lives and say things mm. like that, I find very disturbing <laughs> because to me, I understand... I understand disengaging in harmful relationships, mm-hmm. but to put everything that's wrong in that relationship on that person oh, yeah. and to cut them out Crazy. Yeah. is, to me, insane Yeah, and not helpful. It takes two to tango, It does it? take two to tango. And that's even, that's right, even in that toxic relationship, you've got part, you've been part of that. Yeah. You've been part of why that was toxic. And, and yeah, it's completely right. absolving yourself yeah, of blame. That's right. And it's yeah. also, it's also really oversimplifying what humans are. Yeah. In that we're all going to do things that to someone else seems Absolutely. toxic. Yeah, that's right. And sometimes we're going to turn around and go, that was a really shitty thing. Sorry, did that. Yeah. I mean, I've got much more time for people that go, that's okay. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> I think that, no, I agree. I don't like that sort of, um, that, that phrase either actually. Because I, I do think that, um, I think people, I think friendship's really interesting because I think I've got a lot of very, very old friends that I've had for 20, you know, or more years. Mm. Um but I've also got, you know, lovely new friends that I've, you know, that I've made, you know, having come back to Melbourne recently and stuff like that um, and in different situations that you just, you know. And I think friendships were such a great um, relationship because it is one of the only ones that you really choose. You know, I mean, I suppose we choose our f- everything, but, um, you know, ultimately we do have to choose our family and we choose our partners and we choose them every single day because we've, we've got them, you know, we've mm. chosen them and that's, that's that. But friendship is one of the only ones that you can really leave and come and, you know, you can actually decide, oh, I don't want to be friends with that person anymore. And you don't have to be, you know, whereas it's much more difficult to do that with a family member or a, you know, or in a relationship. Yes. But um, I'm not really sure where I was going with that, actually. I've fallen fallen (laughs) out with friends and then found our way back to something. Yeah, and sometimes that's just sometimes. been. Sometimes that's just been the state that you're in, or or sometimes they're in a relationship that's not yep. good. Um, or, and then when or it doesn't work out, you reconnect or, with them. Yeah, and, that's right. I think friendship does ebb and flow, and I think that you know. Um, but I think one of the things that's really misunderstood by people is I think friendship actually needs just as much work as family yeah, relationships. I think it does. And, like I've had fights with really good friends. I've had probably a 
probably at least one fight with every really good friend that I've had for like 20 years because that's been close to me. Like I've had friends that I've had that I don't see that often for 20 years, but the ones that have really been very, very close friends, there's always been a moment, at least one, that we've had something happen and mm. we've had to really sit down and go, okay, let's work through this and, you know, let's have a conversation about it and, you know, see what happened. And it's actually taken quite a lot of work to kind of get it back on track but it's so worth it because when you come through that, you actually get to this whole other level of friendship that's like, I mean, it's like family. Like you just think, oh, I'm never, this person's going to be with me forever, you know. And I think that often people that when you grow apart from people, if something starts to change in you, I do think people drop off. And it's not about going, oh, great, I've got rid of that toxic person because you were part of that relationship that became toxic so to speak you know yeah. you 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 were completely part of it and when you change um it, it doesn't work anymore and that's how that sort of starts to go away you know yeah. like those people start to leave but I, i'm totally agreeance with you it's it's, it's a really ungenerous your... way to, to live to sit there and go oh i don't need this negative energy i'm going to cut it out and it's like no well i'm it really no it doesn't I, work like i don't think anyway. it works like that i think no. i think if i if i could if i could measure the amount of of appreciation I have for people who've forgiven me for things I've done. Yes. Uh, that yeah. is immensely more useful to me and powerful generally than you cutting someone so-called negative out of your life. That's, yeah. that's, a, that's, a, that's the coward's way out. Transition. I heard of this years ago, which I thought was fantastic, in, um, in dealing with people that are difficult in your life. And I'm one of those. Uh, yeah, you're one of those. I am. I'm the difficult of... friend. <laughs> I'm, I'm everyone's difficult friend. Oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> oh, um, yeah. If they say that this is an equation of X plus Y equals Z. So your X, their Y, and Z is the outcome. Mm-hmm. And they said, like, just like in maths, you know, what we try and do is we try and, you know, this is not in, like in maths, but what we try and do as human beings is we try to change Y. So we go, I'm really unhappy with this relationship yes. or this friendship or this or my mum or this blah, blah, blah. I'm going to say to them and they need to change this and they need to do this and blah, blah, blah. blah. And we try and change the other person yes. and it just doesn't work and we get really frustrated. But actually all we ever need to do is change ourselves. So because X, if you change yourself, you, you stop being X, you become C or you become yes. F, you know, and then... You know, C plus Y doesn't equal Z anymore. And I always thought that is... I've, I've remembered that f- over the years. I've found that so useful that you just think, oh, actually, all I need to do is change the way I react to them or the way that I'm interacting in this relationship or the way that I put up a boundary or I, you know, or I'm going to do things this differently. And actually, it means that they can't actually... Beha- it actually means that they can't keep doing what they do because you've changed the dynamic. And it, and it goes back to what you were saying about... It can't. One person can't be toxic, and the other person. It's it's the two. It's the combination of yeah. the two that creates that outcome. So if you change what you do, the other person is forced to adapt what they're doing, you know, and the outcome becomes different. And sometimes that means that that person goes, I don't like what this is is now, so I don't want to be with you, or I don't want to like, you know, I don't want to be a friend anymore. I don't want to. But it, the outcome will be different, which is actually what we're wanting. Yeah, we're I mean, wanting a different outcome. I've actually know? I've actually done that with. I've actually done that with someone where I have gone, I need to move away from this, not because you're necessarily toxic, but because I keep trying to change the way you're behaving. Mm. And that's making me really poisonous. Yeah, that's <laughs> and right. And so, yeah. so I've sort of gone, this was a good thing. I want it to be, I thought it was something else. It isn't what I thought it was and there's mm. nothing I can do to change mm. that. 
accept my behaviour. And yeah, for so me, that means it. I actually need to step away from it and yeah. focus on other things. And that might be the thing. And that's, and that's completely different to going, I am cutting you out because you're toxic. It's really... I just keep going into a pattern of behaviour with this. Yeah, that's, that's right. It's not changing anything and it's just making both of us unhappy. That's so right. I think I need to remove myself. I've just I've just kicked my I've been my own security guard. I've kicked myself yeah, yeah. out of the club. Yeah, that's right. And gone, don't pick up the phone. But that's exactly <laughs> that, and that goes back to that other saying that I said you've cleaned your side of the street, or Jan said. Oh, but yeah. you know, I reckon that's a really good thing. Look, just looking at your own side of the street and going, What did I do to contribute to this? You know, what is yes. by my part? That's the thing I can change. And after that, the rest is none of your business. Transition. I haven't had a panic attack for about 15 years now and and it really was that combination. It was the combination of doing cognitive therapy, which is really good at helping you... Um, Helping you, it's, I mean, it's all about your thoughts, controlling your thoughts, which is where it all comes it's from. It's identifying when that's a, a, a danger thought that's going yeah, to take you that's to your right. behaviour. When you go down the spiral, that's yeah, right. Yeah, so there's that's a few right. times I'll sort of go, oh, I know that the reason I want to indulge in that thing is because of this or this. Yeah. And I'm aware of it and I'm not yet at the point where I've got a coping strategy to, to yeah. bypass it. Yeah, well, that is uh, cognitive therapy is amazing in terms of that, and just getting to know how your brain thinks. Because people with anxiety have a very, have actually a, amazingly a low um, ability to cope with stress compared to other people. So, so why is that amazingly? Though, <clears throat> that seems to make sense to me. Well, it does make sense, but I always think often people who get anxiety ha- cope with enormous amounts of stress, like. So I always oh, I think, gee, they should, you know, I always think with myself, God, I cope with so much stress being an actor, you know, constantly looking for work, da 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 all yeah. that sort of stuff. But, um, but so part of it is, part of it is the cognitive therapy, part of it is finding ways to release your stress. Yep. Um, like meditation, all those sorts of things. And I, and the two other things that I found really helpful was a, a great book called, um, called Power Over Panic, which was written by Bronwyn Fox, who's the, one of the leading uh, sort of uh, people in Australia who deal with anxiety. She runs a clinic in. I was going to write Adelaide. it down, and then I realised I was recording a podcast. You're recording it. That's right. <laughs> Power over panic, and this other wonderful little book that I got from the doctor called "Living with It," it being it being anxiety, and it's like a cartoon book. And I think it's written by a woman called Bev something. I can't remember her last name, but that is such a great book because it spells it all out. Like it, and you go. That is exactly what I'm going through, and it gives you these really simple little tools. It's such a great book. When you say anxiety, what if mm. you're? This is such an amazing <laughs> self-help podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but when you say, because I don't think of myself. I think of myself as a stressed person. My mm. my molars are basically flat. I, oh. I grind through grinding plates. I'm not a good sleeper. I know that I have behaviours that make that worse. Yeah, right. Um, yeah. and I. I tend to try to be. Mm, I don't get. I don't get anxious in that way. I get yeah. stressed and I get depressed, but I don't have anxiety attacks. Yeah, yeah, Is it yeah. A, do you find that that's a very different thing? Because for me, it's like, oh well, what's the point? And then I throw myself into work to try to find a point. Yes, 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 yes. I I, I agree with you. I find it very hard not to. I think I use work as well as a. Yeah. As a. Yeah, almost as an addiction, really, like just to... Because we can make our own work. Yeah, that's It is right. really hard and it's contributing to the stress, but we can also... But it gives you what purpose. Can, what do I do today? Absolutely. I can write this. Yeah, it gives you purpose, that's yeah. right. And it, makes you, it gives you a reason to get up in the morning and I'm quite addicted to achievement. I've realised over the years that I, you know, in a day, yeah. which is why I find it very hard to relax because I think, well, what's the point? 
Like when I, like yes, I, you yeah. know, if I'm just I could be doing a something. Book, that's right. I think, yeah. well, what have I achieved today? And I had to really unpack that little thought and go, actually, oh, one, you see, I'm, I'm all about the sayings. But one day someone said, well, you're a, you're, you know, um, you're a human being. Yeah. You're not a human doing. Oh, my God. And I just thought, <laughs> oh, that's fucking brilliant because that's, I'm not a human being. I'd never just be. I'm a human doing. I'm always fucking doing something, you know. And even when I'm relaxed and I have a day off, you know, I think, great, I'm going to make that little thing that I want to hang all my jewellery on. It's, it's another little thing that I want to do. I've got a million things I want to do, you know. And I think it's okay to be someone who loves doing and stuff. But oh, yeah. it's all around, it's, it's just around that stuff you know why? Why are you doing it? It's you know? all balance. It's the same. It's, it's the same with all, yeah. with any relationship and any friendship. It's all those balances finding the right one. Because okay, mm. to bring up the 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 lovely to me David Bowie, like going to that exhibition, I just went, man, he did everything. Like mm. he never stopped working. No wonder he was mm. on masses of cocaine in the seventies because he was just he produced <laughs> so, so much work. Much work. Mm. And that. On the one hand, made me go all those things that I keep saying I want to do. I need to just stop, you know, having those losing days where I just don't focus mm. because we have that trouble focusing. Mm. Um, or just even if that focus means read that book, like mm. just finish that book. Yeah. You used to read a book a week for God's sake. Yeah. Why don't you do it anymore? Make yeah. yourself those times. Maybe that's my mindfulness. So there's that. But then on the other hand, the same guy, you know, got to a point when he had a, you know, when they had their daughter, yes. fifteen years ago yeah. where he sort of retired a lot from, from work because doing, he yeah. had a child. Yeah. You know, he'd missed most of his son kind of growing yeah. up. Well, and I think he had that, that focus. But I think there is a... I mean, I think being an artist, it's so... It is a very complicated life because I do think you actually... I think you need to be unfocused sometimes, you know, to be able to go back to being focused, especially when you create your own work. It's not so much so, I think, if you... I don't think it's as much so... If you don't create your own work, but yes. but then I I'm not you do not a lot me of both, so I though. don't so yeah I can't really both. speak on that but yeah I think you do need to kind of just fill the well again and to fill the well of creativity you have to just take some time out and just yeah. do nothing so there is that I think that um, it's kind of hard to escape that doing 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 frantically busy putting on a show blah 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 blah, blah writing did it creating creating and then nothing and yeah. then nothing and then feeling kind of slightly depressed and you know. But I think I think depression. I mean, I I I've had a bit of depression in my life, but not not as much as the the, the anxiety. But um, yeah, I think that comes from sort of. I mean, I think it can come from the same thing, but it's a slightly different. You know, it's a slightly different way. I think cognitive therapy is still really great for depression because again, it's a way of thinking that you get down that spiral. You know, that takes you down and down and down. Um, but it's um, you know, it's amazing how many artists suffer from. From you know variety of these kind of things and, and technicians and anybody who works in the industry yeah yeah anyone who works in the industry yes. well the MEAA our union of course has just done it along with um I think it's Melbourne Uni I think they did it with they did yeah. a big study about yeah. about all of this about substance abuse depression anxiety you know um, poverty blah 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 in the arts and the 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 uh, the stuff that they came back with the findings it's were just horrific like it's just so bad in our industry and they so it is actually something that they're looking at really trying to do something about and help help people and That's Jan's right. pretty hilarious. Oh, thanks. Jan so is hilarious. Jan is fun. She's very good fun. She, um, uh, I don't remember my beautiful friend Melvin Carroll, who's passed away sadly. It was his anniversary. He's been 
passed for five years only last week and he in my very first show here the musical I'm so <laughs> miserable oh my god I'd come from Canberra and got into here and it was my first big show so moved straight away went on tour it was just I was so I had no I just was just it was like oh my god what am I doing what has happened to my life <laughs> I was so straight I never took drugs I was just like you know oh my god and so there I was in this wild show um, and I was so miserable. And I remember saying to him one night, <laughs> crying my eyes out and saying, you know, um, saying, this is just, this is not my dream. This is absolutely not my dream. Like I've always dreamt of being in a musical and now I'm in one and I hate it. What do you do when your whole dream is gone? Like just yeah. like that, you know. And he actually said to me, this is for you. This is the worst show you'll ever do in your life. This is going to be the hardest show you ever do. Not as in it's the worst show, you yes, know, it was a great yeah. show, but this will be the hardest show you you will ever do. And he says, it's not always going to be like this. Just get through this one and you'll, you know. And anyway, he was 100% right. And that's, you know, because I'm always so affected by the moment. Like I'm just, oh, my God, this is it. If I'm sad in this moment, this is it for the rest of my life. Like I can't yeah. quite get over that concept because I'm so in it you know and so that was fantastic advice and the other thing he said to me once was you know he said because I love Barbara Streisand and he was going because I'm so daggy I am that daggy <laughs> um my favorite Barbara Streisand and ABBA my two favorite things oh. in terms of music <laughs> <laughs> I have every album every record album ABBA's ever made hey look there's there's credibility <laughs> there there's credibility so yes Barbara <laughs> Streisand uh, and uh and so Barbara Streisand he said you know you can never be as good at Barbara Streisand, at being Barbara Streisand. And I thought, no, it's true. I'm never going to be as good as Barbara Streisand. And he said, but Barbara Streisand can never be as good at being you as you can. And I just, that was just a complete epiphany that I went, oh, my God, you're right. Like, stop trying to sing everything like Barbara Streisand. Just sing it, like, be influenced. I mean, you can hear the, the influence of Barbara Streisand in my music theatre voice. Like, you can hear it. People go, did you love Barbara Streisand when you were growing up? And I go, <laughs> yep. You know, um, and it's great to borrow, you know, from all those artists. Of course, you can't help but do that. You just, that's you know. That's all Bowie ever did. That's right. You just <laughs> borrow from this. But then you leave that space for your own artistry to come through. Yes. And then it becomes something else because it's all paper mache. You know, yeah. the arts. it's all taking a bit of inspiration from there, a bit of this, a bit of that, and then going, and what can I bring to this? Well, I'll bring this. And then it becomes something completely new. And cabaret is so weird for this because everybody comes from different places. Mm. But it's really good to be aware of what people are doing, other people are doing, because there's been a couple of times I've gone, I'm just going to write a song about this, and then I'll chat to a friend and go, oh, you're doing that. Uh, you'll probably do it better. I'll do something else now. <laughs> but also because then you see, I mean, getting to do this, the variety show of this mm. um, in January 2016, part of what I wanted to make sure I did was at least have a little bit of interaction with at least one guest, mm. even if we just did a cover of a song. Yeah, just yeah. so that somebody, we, we get to do something we don't always get to do. Yeah. And I get to do that with the band too when I get guests up, but also so the audience gets to see something they wouldn't see. That's right. And it's great. That's a little bit of, oh, see, I asked you because I like you yeah. and I think you're fun and I yeah. think you're good and you're different. You're all mm. different from each other. Mm. And... You're all really good. Mm. And that's and we're in the same boat. Like we're on the same team. Mm. Totally. And the great thing about cabaret too, I think, is that is that you can like it's one of the art forms that you can absolutely it is only what you bring to it because there is no actual structure to cabaret. There is mm. no, oh, this is how you do it. Like a music theatre show, there actually is a pretty 
you could pretty much paint by numbers and I've seen a lot that are, you know, <laughs> that you just go, oh, here's the big opening number, here's the big opening dance number, you know, here's the 11 o'clock number at the end, yeah. here's the, you know, second act has to have a big funny moment at the beginning, you know, but, but there's a lot, you, there has become a bit of a structure to it to say to see how it works well, you know. Cabaret, nothing. It can be as different as, you know, Tim mentioned on piano to... Um, briefs. To briefs, to a circus show, to, you know, there's just... To burlesque, to, mm. you know, to then someone standing up and doing the life and times of, you know, David Bowie to the... You know, like, it's just... It, it can be so many different things. And so it is an art form where you get to really, really be... Bring to it your... What, what you are. Well, it highlights know. what your friend was saying, which is the same thing that I got given as advice. Yeah. But which was no one can be better at being you. No, that's right. And not that it has to be about you. Like Jan, I mean, Jan is not about me at all. Like, you know, I'm not Jan Vanistel. No. But, but Jan comes from my experience. It comes from the fact that I have two Dutch parents. It comes from the fact that I'm obsessed with self-help and I've read millions of books and been to courses and, you know, have seen the, sec- the funny side and the dodgy side and, the you know, it comes from that. It, it's very much borrowed from a friend of my mother's who will remain nameless in her life. <laughs> you know, um, it comes from... It is a story that only really, in, in a sense, I can tell because it is so personal. It comes from so many different areas of my life. And when I also run a, a workshop, of course, that, mm. you, um, that you were part of last year called the Cabaret Winter Workshop, um, which we're doing again this year um, in the middle of the year in June during cabaret season, which is a two-week uh, a two-work course where you people come along and develop their own cabaret cabaret ideas and then work together on a on a cabaret in a second week that we present you know um, publicly at the end of it and um, it's so fascinating to see you know I, I love seeing what people's ideas are because they are so different from each other you know they're so beautiful and and to then see them develop like this wonderful um guy that we had last year I don't know if you'd remember him his name's his name was Seth um Drury and he he did a fantastic um show called um, Being Prince Charming which was all about because he's very 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 good looking in a very classic Disney way Mm -hmm. like he's tall slim black hair blue you know beautiful eyes just chiseled jaw he's got the whole Disney prince look and he's been obsessed with Disney princes since he was a very young kid oh wow and so he does this he did this wonderful show all about the different princes of Disney and he had all the the all the different you know um all the different puppet the 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 kind of what do you call them the dolls the Disney dolls figurines figurines yeah from way back from the original prince and and just and then he had this whole fantastic story that went with it about a guy who was obsessed and was you know with these princes and it was just, it was such a great cabaret. It was brilliant. You know, and, and it's just, you go, that's something, who would think to do that? Probably except for you, because that was, that's your life story yeah. in a way. You know, that's your, that's been a part of your life. It's fascinating to see what people come up with. Transition. Why is cabaret so white? So white. It's very, it's oh, not. I, can, I can't remember her name, but the girl that did, um, the woman that did Oprahfication. Oh, Rachel. Yeah. Rachel Trevorrow done great. it. That was a great that idea. That was more of a musical, though. Was it? Oh, okay. I didn't see it, actually. It was. But it looked fantastic. She's got, a, she's got an extraordinary voice. She's extraordinary. Yeah, I'm trying to think about She who... did do... Like, she did the show with Luke Gallagher and Michael Dalton. They did... Um, the, I think it was called The Three of Us. Um, right. Which was a cabaret in... But you're right, actually. There are a lot of... It's very white. Yeah. 
I there don't was know black, why that is. Black yeah. Cabaret, which was a show that was on at the Malthouse, which was focused on That's Indigenous right. Indigenous Cabaret, yeah, I remember but that. But as far as if somebody said, oh, here's a Cabaret Festival in Australia, here were the artists you can think of... We all seem to be very European. Yeah, that's very true. Is it because cabaret is a really European sort of an art form that we tend to gravitate to? Like, where are the songwriters? I'm a songwriter. Well, it is background. a very. I mean, it started in Europe, of course, and so you know, cabaret is huge in in places like Germany, Germany and yeah. France and and where it all started. And then, of course, it went to America, so it was it's very big in America. Um, well, one version of it anyway. Yeah, one version of it is very big in America. So, And then also there's the, there's Polish kind of cabaret, which is quite... So it is very European if you think about it in that way. Maybe that is why. I mean, I don't know of a lot of... I don't know it as an art form at all. I've never heard of it being an art form in terms of the research I've done for the teaching side of things for that workshop. That's historically fine, but like yeah. when you're looking at us, when you're looking at a country like Australia and sort of thinking how yeah, come everybody... Because I look at my lineups yeah. when, I, when I'm doing this show, or the people that I want to talk to in the podcast, yeah. and coming from you know having kind of come in the back door of comedy and, yeah. and sort of gone, okay, well, this, at last I get to put together something that's not just going to be wall to wall straight hetero white guys, yeah. and it's not, but it's still pretty white. Yeah, you know, it's a lot of women and it's a lot of um, non cisgendered, but it's still pretty white. It is. Yeah, in that way, it's not very diverse, and I, I have absolutely, I've never thought of that, and I think that's quite fascinating to think about that. What would attract why that is? It, it is very diverse in terms of you know um, the L G, I, B T Y. What is it? L G. I'm so bad uh, again. Um, Lesbian, uh, gay. L G B T I. I think. Or youth guys. Or youth guys. <laughs> um, it's uh, it's diverse in that. Like yes. there's a lot of people that that a lot of different um, you know sexualities and people doing. Stuff, but yeah, I can think of more non-white burlesque performers. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, and maybe drag. I mean, apart from, well, briefs is probably the best example if you if you kind of talk, talking about yeah. burlesque kind of things. Yeah. But, but because Even of, that though, yeah. because I'm a songwriter, I tend to gravitate towards songwriters because I like what they do. And when I think of and Australia's produced a ton of amazing musical comedy slash cabaret songwriters. Like mm. we've, we've produced a lot yeah, in the yeah, last yeah. 20, 30 years and, um, and continue to do so. But, but even there I'm sort of, so what's not attracting? Well, I wonder whether it is exactly as you, you know, as, as you first said, that, that it has a massive history and whether it is that, the fact that it has a massive history from Europe—that's that's where it started, cabaret—and then and then it went to America, and, they, and we have that kind of more straight, you know, um, Barbara Streisand-type cabaret, you know, show tunes, you know, cabaret. Mm-hmm. I wonder if because it has that 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 history, that 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 you know, that's kind of in your bloodline a bit more. I don't know. Yeah. I have no idea because that's it's a genuine question. I genuinely don't know mm-hmm. of any cabaret in in like in any of the Asian countries in the Philippines or you know or in in. Um, you know, China well, or because you, I, you do know. workshops, I thought it would be interesting because yeah. you see a lot of young kids kind of coming up yeah, and doing well, stuff. Yeah, I have to say, new people, yeah. not necessarily just young kids. No, but people that are new to the art yeah. form. Yeah, and it is. You're right. It's very, it's very white. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. I know. 
Maybe the listeners, maybe the listeners have an, have an insight into that. That'd maybe. be a very interesting conversation. Well, it'd be interesting to see the sort of people that are looking at. Okay, I, I reckon the best way you could inject because I mean you're either coming through kind of a comedy kind of clowning thing anyway, and even there, it's not particularly diverse. It's a bit more so, but not in musical comedy. It's not particularly diverse. No. And then if but you comedy's come, got a lot more diversity in has, terms of race and it it doesn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then, but not like. Ten years ago, much less so. Yeah. But then, when you look at um, when you look at it from a, the music theatre kind of pathway mm. into cabaret, there might be people, there might be people coming up there that you could sort of nudge. And go, Did you ever so. think about? Yeah, that? they're great. Or, yeah. Um, because the mm. music theatre's very. Now that we think about it, music theatre's very white too. Yeah. It's getting better now that Cameron Mackintosh back in the. When was it? It was already starting. It was already happening in the 90s, actually. He was a real trailblazer for this sort of stuff. Um, he started what was called colourblind casting in yes. musicals. And he was the first person to do it. And it was just amazing. It was so groundbreaking. And having, you know, having within, even I remember because I was doing Les Miserables at the time, and uh, we were touring in Asia and they had all this, and, and also in South Africa, and we had, you know, black kids. We had, like, in Asia, we had, you know, we had, in, we had sing- kids from Singapore and kids from, you know, who were white, who were, you know, all different, all different um, races. And it was fantastic, even though, and it was for the Tenardiers, and even though the Tenardiers, these characters were white, and Fontaine was white and Caucasian. They had children who looked nothing like them, and I thought, isn't that brilliant that they've just? And we had an Eponine who was from, because it was an international production. She was from the Philippines, and she was the daughter of the Tenardiers, who were both, you know, Caucasian. Yeah. And so it was just this fantastic kind of new way. And you know, people, it's theatre. People just go, oh, and they, they, the first time they look at it, they go, that's weird. They don't look anything alike. And then they go. Gone, and they're just in the story, and that's that, and they're yeah. back to it. And you go, it's wonderful that he started doing that. But but before that, there was there was so little diversity in in music theatre as well, well. It's almost at the point where the musical like Lame is though that that's kind of now it's so it's been around for so long. Yeah, it's yeah. almost getting that sheen of okay, we know we know the types in this story, and I mean the novel's yeah, been yeah. around for even longer, yeah. so it's like you know. Colourblind casting in Shakespeare is not going to be a big deal unless you're looking at, at something specific like Othello, Othello or whatever. that's right, yeah. But, um, but, yeah, that's... But they need more of it. They need more of it and they also well, need more... People need to write more stuff that's less, that's, you know... They what, do. That, and you know what bugs me? There's the amount of times there aren't any women our age in casting calls. The amount of times that, that, that there are... Mm. That the casting is so much more male-dominated and younger women and you just go... Mm. Why isn't anyone writing that? They are, no. but there's not a lot. No, there's not a lot. And the, and the other thing that really gets me, being a bigger woman, you know, being mm. someone who's not a size 10 as an actor, has it's always been also diversity in body shapes. I just yeah. go, why do they not? Why is it important that someone is a size 12 or a size... You know, like, unless you're a movie star and it's about being glamorous and that's a different thing, you know, and that's what they think is glamorous, yeah. you know, but if it's a just an it's a role and you're playing a politician you're playing a doctor you're playing a wife you're playing a why why do you have to be thin because you know what (laughs) most people aren't most people and you know and it's you know it's not about going promoting health and blah blah blah, because a lot of people who are overweight are actually healthy and but you know for whatever reason are have a bit more help you know weight on them or whatever and you go and also it's just reflective of society Mm. you know and it really god it shits me when you when I watch television Australian television any kind of you know tv or films and I see how, you know, it's okay for a man to be overweight. It's okay for a man to play a lawyer, a politician, a blah, 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 whatever, 
and to be overweight, that's fine. And to have a, but the wife has to be thin. The wife cannot be overweight, you know? And you just go, because to, it's amazing. And if you look at how, how we think, you'd go, oh, yeah, because if you cast the wife as overweight, she then immediately becomes someone who we think is, you know, um, she's, you know, she's sort of doesn't deserve the guy or she's lazy or she's all these connotations that come with that. You go, that's actually not true. And, you know, to, but it started to be what you think as an audience member because we know stereotypes so well now. We know mm. that, oh, if this guy's introduced at the beginning and he's an important character played by a famous person, he's not going to get killed, you know, until the end of the film. You know, yeah. and I go, you know, or at all, you know, like I just go, I, I, it, we have to start breaking down those stereotypes. Oh, yeah. And, you know, when we do, we love it. You know, look at like, my big fat Greek wedding, look at Muriel's wedding, look at, you know, all those films that have a woman who is who is a bigger woman in it. People love it the people really relate to it people flock to it you know so I just I don't get it I don't get what the fear is around the writers and the people and the casting I just think it's something that people have it's a trope now yeah <clears throat> people have just you know they just do it because that's what we do you know we really have to I think that's the other thing in diversity that we really need to look at is body you know weight and body shapes because it's the new thing that oh we can't we can't possibly have someone like that you know in a role like this mm. I'm here to say that you can and when you do, it's really fa- it's wonderful. It's fascinating and wonderful. And when you see, I love people mm. who look a bit weird and are a little interesting. Yeah. And and they're the ones that endure, I think. Um, you can be very bland, boringly pretty, and that's just say, you know, oh no, fuck you guys. If you're pretty, then you've already got a fucking lead up on us. But oh. you go, you know, it's just that thing of just going. It shouldn't be. A prerequisite. It should. It just shouldn't be. It's the same as men. You know, it's that whole Hollywood thing where men can be seventy and be married. You know, their wife will be fifty in the film. Yeah. You know, and that that's okay. And you go, I don't understand. How does that become okay? Why? Why is that? You know, it's a lack of imagination. It's just crazy. It's, a, it's it's and it's a, it's a safety. Is oh no, that's just how we do it. No, it's not a good enough excuse. Well, and it, but it has massive power. You know, and that's what I hate. It has massive yes. power and it makes people feel shit about themselves yeah. because we do. We go to the movies and we think, oh, that's how it's supposed to be. And it's crazy, but it's just it just seeps in there, and you think, oh yeah, I'm supposed to look like that, and then that's supposed to be that's okay. And then when you see it different, you think, whoa, what's happening here? What's yeah. happening? Oh, she, that person's really old, and she looks really old next to him. And yeah. you're going, hold on, but they're the same age, actually. Yeah, that's actually what's normal, you know. But we don't see it enough, so I think I let's get it, subversive. Let's fuck around with that convention and go. Because now, because now I'm know? forty, that's what I see. I see no women in that age group. Yeah, I see, I see hard. no women in the middle age yeah. and things. I watched Tron Legacy on Netflix the other day and just went, <laughs> okay, so we, we're allowed to have as many Jeff Bridges of as many ages as possible. Yes, yes, sure. But we couldn't possibly have one woman. Oh, she's in it for a very brief time at the start. There's an older woman, and then she does, but she doesn't speak. Yes. Um, and yet, all the people in the in the office, uh, there's a lot of guys who are over a certain age, and then every woman who's within the game is twenty something and and, hot. and, and flawless, yeah, yeah. <laughs> flawless. That's right, absolutely yeah. flawless. And they don't drive the story, and um, complete damsel in distress kind of a story. And it's, it's so boring for people to hear about it because we're so bored of talking about it. Mm. It's just yeah, yeah. Crazy. Oh. That's why things like you know, Broadchurch. You know, you look watch that. Olivia. The English. Oh my God, <gasps> Olivia Coleman's amazing. She's such a wonderful actress. She's such an interesting looking woman. She's a normal size. She's like you know, you just go, how f- fabulous. I mean, she's a you know, and you think what a complete shame that would be, for someone who is such a brilliant actress like that 
to not get work because she doesn't look a certain way. Well, she didn't. She's they not... remade it in America and they well, cast exactly. David Tennant and they didn't cast her. I know. And look at that and look how bad it was, that yeah. version. I mean, it's terrible. She's because a... they missed the whole component is that she just she's the... is this normal woman coming from a tiny town that's not, you know. And she's the driver of it, really. She's the driving force. I yeah. know. Everything about how she reacts to things and her feelings about him coming in, she's the... That's She's right. the centre of that story as far yeah. as I'm concerned. She's a very good comic actress too, if you haven't. Oh, no, I didn't know that, but, I mean, you can tell she's just a brilliant actress. Oh, so she's, ex- great. she's extraordinary. She's, she, I love her. Mm. I, I love you, Olivia Coleman. I love you. <laughs> Transition. Well, because I want to write something. I've uh, mu- The musical is the thing I've always wanted to write. Oh, you should. You're such a great songwriter. No, but I'm having, I'm having songwriter um, doubts at the moment. I think I need the well to be filled again. Yes. Yeah. I think I need to step away from constantly churning stuff out. I think that's really smart. I think that sometimes it's really important just to go back and, you know, be a... Be a a watcher for a while, go and watch other stuff, go and, you know, because that's where you come up with lots of ideas by watching and think, oh, that's interesting, that worked, but that didn't. I know, I could do a thing. You know, it's... Oh, yeah. I think so much of it is from watching. And I I always say that to my students, you know, when I work with people, um, especially my adult students, I'm about to start another course, actually, called the... um, the Advanced Audition Technique for Musical Theatre course and it runs over three months and, and people come and work with um, myself and, and lots of amazing kind of high-profile um, musical Maybe directors. Maybe I should do that course. Musical directors. Oh, I'm, well, I don't, I'm not sure I could, what I could teach you, but... <laughs> I don't know anything. Somebody said you've got a music theatre audition You really tomorrow. would I be haven't great I've got no theater. material. I've got nothing. Well, actually, we were supposed to have this conversation. We were actually, we were. Um, Yes, they work with really great musical directors and 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 choreographers and directors that are working in musicals at the moment, and and um, and learn how to audition Mm -hmm. for music theatre. But um, oh, what were we talking about? See, here goes my memory. Um, The well-being drive. The well-being drive. And watching things. And I always say to those students, "What have you from?" Because it's a weekly course every Saturday. I say, "What did you watch? What did you see this week?" Because so much of it is about. Watching, and I can't believe how many actors say, oh, "I want to do music theatre," blah, 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 but they don't go and see the shows. And yes, they're very expensive. I totally agree. But you know, don't buy coffee. Don't go and you know, just save up. Go and you know, don't go to the movies for a few times, and you'll have enough money to go to the you know to go mm. to the, the show. And well, many many coffees and many yes you know, <laughs> movies. Um, but you know, there's a way of doing it. There's a way of doing it and prioritizing. Going, I really need to see stuff. That's very very important. Mm. And um, and going to see plays and going to see all all of that stuff just kind of it brings you into um, you know it brings you into the scene for starters because you get involved you get to know who's who you get you know all of those things but also I think that stuff is what really creates for you a lot of inspiration and you can my god there's so many things you can watch on television and things you can you know you can you can um, they they play so many amazing musicals now on different stations you know different places that you can get them from and you know from Broadway and blah 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 and yeah that stuff is so important to watch I think mm. especially when you're trying to create you know I think trying to find inspiration in what other people are doing and seeing what's going on in the in in that art form is such a great way of learning because I'm a bit, you know, funny mm. with music theatre anyway because mm. when people are really intense about it, they can be kind of hilarious. Mm-hmm. Um, I agree. Yeah, okay, good. <laughs> I totally agree. <laughs> uh, 
and it's I do, a fine line. Yeah. Music theatre. <laughs> and I, don't, I, I do like people like yourself who, who I find really unique in that context. I think that they're the most interesting. Um, and there are performers that I've had the opportunity to go and I don't get to see many musicals myself yeah. um, because they are very – it is expensive. Yeah. yeah. But some of the ones that I have got a chance to go and see, I've, I've sort of gone, oh, that person's doing – they're standing out for mm. me as somebody who – because they're doing – the thing that they do, they're not yeah. sounding like everybody else. No, that's I like right. they've been churned out of a school. But the last one that I which listened they have. to, as yeah. a, which I have, which as a comp- as a composer, I just went, problem, this yeah. is great. This is different to what I mm. think a musical is. And that step by step was Fun Home. Oh, isn't that fantastic? That and musical. I just went, oh, this is so a musical great. a pop songwriter can do. Yeah, that's oh. right. And Hamilton. Have you heard of Hamilton? Hamilton's a new musical that's taken over America, I have. like Broadway. Which is all rap. I haven't know, heard it, kind of, but I have heard a lot of about it and heard some of yeah, the songs. Yeah, I haven't yeah. heard it either. But I, that's the thing. There is no, you know, I think that we've totally lost the time of going, oh, it has to be written in a certain way. I mean, now, you know, you have musicals that are written in, in every sort of genre, like from, from say, mm. things like In the Heights and, and Hamilton now that are kind of rap and... and, um, and, uh, and what do you call that? Hip-hop. And... Um, you know, going to things like Phantom, which are very, very, you know, almost operatic in style and going to, you know, they really, they have they, they have all sorts of musicals mm. now that cover every genre of music. So I think people that go to see the art form are used to that now too, to go, you know. But I still am a little concerned about the tendency in recent years to get a bunch of different songwriters from the pop slash rock world to make it, yeah. to put together. Not because they're not good writers, I just feel like sometimes it means that the through line of the of the stories, it doesn't feel whole to no. necessarily. I can't think of a good example. I mean, no. of a good one. No, I haven't seen that work yet, really. I think, I mean, I was involved in, obviously I played um, one of the characters in King Kong, so I was involved in that, which is the one of the first times I think that was done. Mm. And, you know, my God, some of the songs were so fantastic mm. that were in that show. But I think one of the problems was that it didn't have a coherency through in a, as, yeah. a, as a through line in in terms of music. There was something, and I also, I also having done all the workshops and stuff, I also feel like, you know, there is a you know in music theatre, the songs actually have to they have to um, keep the story moving forward. Yes, they can't when they work well. That's what they do. Yes, when they don't work so well, they stop the action and they just reflect on a moment. It's like yes. you know, it's, it doesn't quite work. I don't think as well. Um, and it's a much older style of kind of, you know, song songwriting for musicals. But um, And I think that there's a real technique to that. Mm. And I think that um, it's it's not easy to do. It's not easy to do because it feels it can be really clunky because often it's kind of, uh, it can be sort of more dialogue put to music. It could be, you know what I mean? It can be harder to write a great song when it's, when it's doing that. And... Um, and I think it's, yeah, I think like anything else, it's an art form. So if you're good at writing pop music and then you try and write a musical, you have to actually study how to, you have to look at that and go, how do they do that? What's the structure of that? How does that work, you know, best? And then go back to how you write, but just find those elements, you know. And when, and yeah, it's really interesting. When it's done well, it's great. Like Ladies in Black is on at the moment. Well, it, it, on this day that we're recording this, it is in Melbourne at the MTC you know, you should, anyone that's interested in musicals should get along to see that. I mean, it's almost sold out. It is. It's such an interesting show, and it's great. It's a great new Australian musical. Um, and there's there are moments of the songwriting that don't work. There are songs that you just go that didn't that didn't work. But when he when he when he 
plays with the form. Mm. When he actually really, you can see that he's gone, okay, I, I know what this kind of song would be in a musical. Mm. And he plays with that form and almost takes the piss out of that form a bit. It's so brilliant mm. and you just – it's so catchy and fabulous. This is Tim you know, Finn we're talking about. We're talking about, about Tim yeah. Finn, the writer. Yeah, it's just brilliant and it's a great – it's really been really beautifully done. Well, I think one of the things that um, that makes Fun Home work is the unconventional structure anyway. So because mm. you've got um, the Bechdel character sort of looking back at her life at different points, you've mm. got an automatic reflection in there that doesn't feel like you're stopping anything. And not that any of the songs do stop mm. uh, the action, but, like, I think that that, that lack of, con- of typical musical convention on stage and in a really simple stage and with really strong choices of um, symbolism like mm. the airplane and, um, and with her father and everything is what makes it... It just it just gels it together and it lets mm. the songs move in a slightly different way than they would if it was a bit more here's the structure of the traditional mm. musical show. So it would be curious to see to see Ladies in Black mm. considering it's been adapted from a novel. It's been adapted from a novel beautifully by yeah yeah. And yeah. would be a reasonably straightforward like synopsis in terms of music theatre sense as opposed to yeah. something that's coming in and out of yeah. I mean, one of the most powerful songs impression. for me in, in Fun Home was actually something I found really interesting. I went to see. Oh, I can't say what it was. All right. I find I find it, this is an, an issue that I don't think has been explored a lot, which is a lot of marriages that took place to, um, you know, lavender marriages. Mm-hmm. So um, a woman who's married to a gay man because at the time it was... Convenient and, and he'd... he'd, he'd the, yeah. yeah and and I've, I've seen, uh, it might be just my experience, a lot of more stories about from the man's point of view coming up than this woman who's in this marriage. Mm-hmm. And that was one of the most lovely songs in Fun Home was her having her... She wasn't in it a lot, but that was kind of part of what the whole thing was, mm. her playing the piano through the whole story. But her having that song of explaining how you could stay in a marriage for that long that wasn't working, mm. that wasn't what everybody thought it, a marriage should be. Mm. You know, and everybody seems to have an idea with, of what marriage should be and the mm. people that marry with that in their mind get very hurt when it doesn't work the mm. way they think it's supposed to. Then you've got X trying to change Y. Yeah, that's right. And yeah. I found that a really... Uh, I couldn't think of another example where, where that part of the story... The whole idea of that marriage in, the, in Fun Home being pre, um, presented on stage at all, let alone her having that real moment of, of agency mm. in that story yeah. as a person, not yeah. just as a... It's an interesting theme, isn't it? Well, yeah. not yeah. just as, you know, collateral damage no, but actually for his pain, yeah. which is absolutely valid, but she's, yeah. she's got this really strong position that I can't think of many examples of people talking about that. No. No, I can't either in a, in a in a film or a certainly not in a musical, but yeah. Transition. Thank you so much for chatting to me, Queenie oh, Van Der Zandt. My pleasure. What a lovely cup of tea. We've had a lovely little little cup of tea, a little banana blend. Have I we? like the banana, banana blend. Is it called banana blend. Tea yeah. too. It was great. It's you, been a success. You're such, you're such a T2 junkie. Like, <laughs> I am. I've got like five different. All the cups. And I've got so many cups. And I love <laughs> teacups. So thank you so much. So well, thank you for having me on your excellent podcast. 
You heard her say it's excellent. You should subscribe and tell other people. Did we fix your life? Me, Geraldine, Queenie van der Zand and her alter ego, Jan van der Stoel? I hope so. Don't forget, Barbara Streisand can never be as good at being you as you can. It's good advice. I just said it really shitly. You know what I mean. Thank you for having me in your house and letting me touch your dog. Yes, he, he liked it. He's, he's enjoyed it. pretty great. <laughs> he is pretty great. Yeah. He's a cutie. Yeah. I'm going to steal him.